Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you might be opening it to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to continue our study of this Pauline letter to the church at Corinth. I appreciate all of you who have volunteered to to be here this evening. Even if you haven't signed up, feel free to to come here um, at uh, around 4.45 or so, we'll start at 5, but we need to be here a little bit early, get everything set up, and we're going to have a tremendous time. Just, just one piece of instruction, we ask everybody to, to park towards the back. We're going to try to keep all the, the cars that come and visit up front so we can um, regulate the traffic a little bit and, and keep, them, uh, keep the traffic out of the way of the children. And so appreciate that. Just, just park towards the back and set up there, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. All right, well, last week we learned that there's a lot going on in this uh, church at Corinth. Uh, this, this church was planted in a major city in Greece. In the first century, it's the most populous city in Greece. It's a Roman colony. It's located on some major trade routes. It's the home to the temple Aphrodite, and there are many prostitutes associated with this temple. And so it would be very similar today if someone went and they planted a church right on the strip in Las Vegas. And you just imagine what that would be like. And the church reflected what was going on in this city. And so there's sexual immorality, there's idolatry, there's lawsuits, there's jealousy, there's poverty, and and more in this church. And and considering all of these issues, considering everything that's going on, where does one begin? And we can think through this list of these issues, and we probably have an opinion about what needs to be addressed first. And I think most of us would would probably uh, put sleeping with your father's wife or, or suing one another high on that list. Those seem like pretty significant problems. But where does Paul begin? What does he believe needs to be addressed right away? And the answer is found in our text this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Right after you get through with the greeting, this is where Paul begins. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so with everything that's going on in Corinth, 
What Paul decides to address first is division. Why? You know, when we look over this list of, of what's happening in this church, the division probably doesn't stand out compared to everything else. Why division? Well, we need to think like God thinks. And part of becoming a Christian is undergoing a transformation of the mind where we change how we think and how we see things. And so Romans 12, 2 states, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so have your minds transformed so you can think like God. We grow up living in the world and being conformed to the world without even really knowing it. And becoming a Christian means that, that we stop thinking like the world and we begin to embrace the ways of God. When you consider the world, division is common in the world. It's just a way of life. And the world is divided and will always be divided. And so what happens is we just get used to it. We get used to all the division, all the fighting. However, in the church... It's not that way. God hates division. And a top priority of the church is to be united. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. Consider what Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. He prays that his followers be unified. And just think about that for a moment. He doesn't pray that uh, they be bold and courageous, although that's important. They're going to face a lot of trials. They're going to face persecution. He prays for unity. And so listen to his words. This is John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. So basically he's, he's praying here for all Christians that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And so Jesus wants unity among his people. This is his desire, and we cannot ignore this. And we can't just blame division on others. We have to strive for unity. To be one, as Jesus and God are one, is what it means to be a Christian community. And it's a blessing to be united in Christ, to, to have a group of people who, whom you trust and who support one another. But we also need to understand that, that this unity just doesn't happen on its own. It happens, as Jesus says, when Christ is in us and we are in him. And so it's something we do. It's our orientation. It's what we're seeking. And it's where our devotion lies. We cannot be unified if we're seeking and, and clinging to sports or politics or friends or whatever else is out in the world. What unites us is being in Christ 
It is giving Christ allegiance over everything else that's in our lives. And this is what Jesus wants. And we continue to see this emphasis on unity in, in the works of the flesh. And so uh, Galatians 5. And just notice how many times division or something like it is mentioned in this list. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. These are all words that are associated with disunity. We're not given that many words to describe sexual immorality or false gods. God wants his people to be unified. And anyone who causes division is in danger of losing their salvation. Paul says they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so why is unity so important? It's important because of what Jesus says in John 17. He says that we are to be unified so that the world may know that you sent me. And so basically what he's saying there, it is essential to our witness in the world. The world is divided, but the church is to be known for being united. And our unity is to be a light in the darkness. And people in the world should want to be a part of the church because they see how we get along and how we love one another. God does not take kindly to anyone who disrupts or destroys the unity of his people. This is serious business. And so as we reflect on this church in Corinth, why was it so divided? Well, we learn something about this division when we begin to look at the history and the culture of what's going on in Corinth. It was a divisive place to live. And I just want you to listen to what a couple of scholars have to say uh, about this city and how it relates to the church. And so first, Richard Oster, he says, party spirit was a common fact of ancient city life, and it was commented upon and lamented by more than one pagan author contemporary within early Christianity. So basically what he's saying is people knew that Corinth was a divided place, and even the pagans are commenting on it. This is a divisive city. People do not get along. And then David Garland, he says, the proclivity towards factiousness was present in Corinth long before Paul appeared, and the new converts apparently continued to manifest their competitive spirit in their interactions with their fellow believers after their conversion. He says it was part of the town, it was part of the culture. Why was this church so divided? Well, it's because they looked exactly like the culture in which they lived. The culture, the city was divided, and the church was divided. And their lives needed to be converted to Christ. They were all trying to follow different people, and they had different allegiances, rather than just following Christ. They had brought 
their divisions into the church. Well, we live in a divided culture. We're more divided now than, than we've been in many years, and we see it on the news, and we see it on social media, and it comes out in conversations. The culture that we live in is somewhat similar to Corinth. And it's essential that we do not allow the divisions of the world to divide the church. Christianity is being attacked and churches are hurting. The division in the world has led to declining churches. It has led people to, to people leaving churches. And when we are not united around Jesus, churches suffer. This was what's going on in Corinth. We live in a mess. But, but here's something we need to understand. Every obstacle we face is also an opportunity. And so we have a choice. We can be like the world. We can have a church that resembles the world. Or we can embrace Christ. We can either be a light in the darkness or we can be part of the darkness. And so we have to decide what kind of church we want to be. We can be a divided church or we can be a church with Christ at its center. A church which unites around Jesus. And every church in America is facing this dilemma. And we have to choose. And when it's presented, you know, the, the, the choice seems obvious. Who wouldn't choose Christ? However, we have to remember, just like in Corinth, um, we, we, we live in this world of powerful forces. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he states that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In Ephesians 6.12, he tells us that we're at war against cosmic powers and spiritual forces. And so the choice should be obvious, but too often we get fooled by principalities and powers of this world. We get persuaded by power and, and desires uh, for things that are other than God. And so we can hear Paul's frustration when he says something like this, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. It should be simple, but we are human and we live in a fallen world. And too often we are fixated on the problems of this world instead of being fixated on Christ. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to partner with God in redeeming what is lost. But we cannot do this if we are divided. A divided church will not change anything. And so we must be united. So, what are we to do? How do we unite? Let me suggest that we are to hold Jesus in the palm of our hands. And we're to hold everything else very loosely. Nothing in the world can unite us. Only Jesus can unite us. 
Everything that's in the world is going to come to an end. It will rust, it will decay, it will perish, it will go away. Only Jesus is eternal. Nothing in the world can save us. Only Jesus died for our sins. Only Jesus endured the cross for our sake. Only Jesus has the power over sin and death. And so why would we cling to anything else? Why would we allow anything in the world to divide the Lord's church? A healthy church keeps Jesus in its palm. A thriving church keeps Jesus in its palm. A a living church keeps Jesus in its palm, and it holds everything else very loosely. And so what kind of church are we going to be? We face some great obstacles, but this also means that we have great opportunities before us. All we have to do is hold Jesus tightly in our palms and hold everything else loosely. And this leads to a unified church, and a church that is unified around Jesus, that's a church that can make a difference. What we cling to and hold to and and lift up is not our opinions or our likes or our desires or our wants. What we cling to and lift up for everyone to see is Jesus. And everything else pales in comparison to Jesus. This is why Paul will say in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In a divided world, people need to see Jesus. And if the church is not united around Jesus, how will the world see him? How will they hear about him? We have a mission. And our mission begins by being unified around Christ. It's the most important thing a church can do. And so our world is divided, and Jesus is the only one that can heal our division. So let's keep Jesus in the palm of our hand, and let's hold everything else loosely. Let's pray. Father God, come before you today. And we thank you for the wisdom that we gain through your word. We thank you for Jesus who is everything. We thank you that we can be united in Christ and that we find freedom in Christ and that we find salvation in Christ and that we find life in Christ. I pray that that we would unite around him so that the world can know this as well and so that we will be an example of unity and love to the people around us so that we will be a light in the darkness. Father, we know this is not easy. We live in a fallen world and we are humans and so we pray for you to help us. Be with us as we strive to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We pray this in his name.
Amen.